And now, get growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 and KSTE.com. Here is Fred Hoffman. Happy Sunday morning to you. Happy Mother's Day to you. Welcome to Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Farmer Fred here, Fred Hoffman, UC Cooperative Extension Lifetime Master Gardener, garden columnist with the Lodi News Sentinel, the guy that does all the typing at FarmerFred.com, all the ranting at the Farmer Fred Rant blog page at Twitter.com slash tips. lots of snark. And the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page, where there is always a garden dialogue going on. Also, a little clue for the Garden Grappler coming up at 11 o'clock that our guest today will be your judge and jury for Sacramento County's original master gardener, Pam Bone, is here. And we'll be uh, answering your gardening questions at 916-576-1578 in the meantime. Also, 866-331-8255. Email, you can send it to fred at farmerfred.com. Terry's running the board today. Hi, Terry. And uh, weather. Let's do the weather. Seven days worth of weather. It's May. It's going to be sunny till October. Sunny, 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 mostly sunny, mostly sunny through Saturday with highs 79 to 82 in Sacramento and overnight lows in the low 50s. Perfect for starting your summertime vegetable garden, your warm season vegetable garden. And Mother's Day, Pambone, has officially always been up in the foothills, official vegetable planting day for your summer vegetables. But it makes a heck of a lot of sense to use mid-May as your planting time for a lot of the real heat-loving vegetables that we grow here. The zucchinis, the, the squashes, the pumpkins, the melons, uh, uh, the peppers, too. Eggplant. Which? Eggplant. Eggplant. Oh, I forgot eggplant. You're yeah. right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's one of those. Yeah, definitely. Plants. Likes it a little bit better, warmer. Mm-hmm. No doubt about it. All right. Otherwise, it just sits in sulks. And people, I, I heard this question at a nursery last Friday over hearing this, and a person asked an employee there, is it too late to plant tomatoes? No. No, it's not. There's plenty of time to plant tomatoes. I would say all the way through June. It depends on the variety. That's true. If it's a beefsteak, maybe no. not. If, if you go with the smaller varieties, go for it. If it's a beefsteak, I might not go with for it at all. You know, beefsteak in our area here is just always a little questionable. I've always had good luck with the big beef Have variety. You? Yeah. So I, I usually plant that every year and will be again. And I'll be testing my own theory because I didn't start the big beef until early April, I don't think. And so that means late May is going to be the soonest I'm going to plant. Oh, you haven't even put them out then at no, all? No, they're, they're oh. still in containers. What happened to your tomato planting day on your birthday? Oh, I planted other tomatoes. Oh, Come okay. on. Good, good, Even good. though I have a teeny tiny yard, I've got eight or nine plants. <laughs> oh, good, good. So, But the big beef, I yeah. realized I had that packet of seeds and I hadn't planted any yet, so I got them going. It'll be interesting because it is the one um, tomato, not that particular variety, mm-hmm. but many of the larger tomatoes, um, they are the ones we get the most complaints on that they don't set. And in a lot of situations, they never have. I'm thinking of one very popular heirloom uh, beefsteak tomato, the Brandywine, that is a big tomato, and that's usually what you get, a big tomato, one tomato. I'm trying it again this year. Oh, good for you. I know. I, I've tried it in the past and had maybe three tomatoes, right. and I thought, well, I'm going to move it to a little bit more full sun all day, and we'll just see what happens. And I got it in early. Okay. Um, this year, I planted on my tomato planting day, which is closer to my birthday, so which is a little earlier in April. Well, with uh, climate change, be my guest. 
That's true. And I did go out and measure my soil temperature, by the way. Oh, did you? So that I could just see if it was warm enough for it. Uh-huh. And I didn't sit on it. You know, right. okay. Remember the old recommendation, oh, yes. go out there and sit on your soil? Yeah. But uh, I did. Uh, and for the most part, the temperatures were, were close to being right at what you want. So Yeah. About 59, 60 degrees. Right. Tomatoes yeah. in the 60s and the peppers, the squash, they like it closer to 70. And sure enough, Soil temperatures this week, as measured, where is the semi station in Fair Oaks? Is it in Fair Oaks Park? No, I think it. No, it's not. I think it's at Phoenix Field. Okay, at Phoenix Field, yeah. and the soil temperature there this week seventy one. Oh wow, that's pretty warm. Yeah, and that's great for planting squash, perfect, and peppers and all those other yes. heat lovers. All right, definitely. So when we last left you, we were over at uh, KFBK doing a garden show, and you were telling us how to correctly water a tree, and it makes perfect sense. You don't plant in a lawn. And you talked about the damage that can be had on a tree that's getting hit by sprinklers. Mm -hmm. And I think this is something to talk about because a lot of people have either trees in a lawn or trees at the edge of the lawn, but their impulse sprinklers especially maybe go over far enough where they're batting against the trunk of a tree. And it's actually, there's two different um, scenarios here. One could just be your pop-up sprinklers mm-hmm. and the fact that tree trunks are kept wet all the time. Right. And especially if you let the lawn grow right up to the tree, then that's an area that just stays moist and it can lead to various fungal diseases and rots and things like that. And, so, and weed whacker and lawnmower damage, too. The, the number one, oh, it's amazing how many people can just cause serious damage or death to trees, especially young trees, by just going a little bit closer to that trunk. And mm-hmm. then I've seen somebody take a string trimmer down one side of a, a whole row of trees out in the Laguna area. It was a housing development. And then down the other side and girdled every single one of them. It was horrible because they cut right into the bark and and you're cutting off the water and food conducting tissue when you do that inside the tree. Yeah, it's just inside the bark. It's not the bark itself. There's a layer right inside the bark, the cambium layer, that's the pipeline for the tree. Yeah, that whole thing. There's the phloem, the cambium, the xylem, and they transport the nutrients, the food from the leaves, and also the water up from the roots. And, yeah, you you whack into that uh, and you cut it off and you've got a tree that's um, in serious trouble. So I can understand impulse sprinklers hitting a trunk and damaging a trunk, but I I didn't realize about just normal pop-up sprinklers and the spray keeping a tree unnaturally moist, especially if it's the north side of the tree it's hitting. Right, or just if it's a particular species of tree, too. Mm -hmm. A lot of people like to grow citrus and other fruit trees in lawns, you'd be amazed. Oh, yeah. No, and see. cherries are particularly sensitive, and even ornamental cherries, but fruiting cherries as well. Um, peaches are maybe a little more tolerant, and pears a little more tolerant. But for some reason, cherries, people love to plant those in lawns, and they really suffer yeah. for them. So just, yeah, regular sprinkler systems around it uh, is not good because you keep moisture. And that's why we're always telling people when they mulch, keep a just even just a couple of inches away from the tree trunk, better to be out just a little bit further. So if you are a little heavy-handed, you're not keeping it always sopping wet right there. So basically redirect your sprinklers so they're not directly hitting the tree. Right. In fact, at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center, they uh, irrigate their fruit trees with micro sprays, the little mini sprinklers, and they have them out from the trunk, directed out, spraying out. Because think of one thing. Roots don't grow right up next to the trunk, especially those little fine absorbing roots that take up all the Mm -hmm. water. 
and the nutrients, those keep going out further and further out into the soil, and they can go out beyond the drip line of the soil. So you want water then to extend out. So talk about watering trees. You don't water right next to the trunk unless it's a brand-new planted tree um, where the roots haven't gone out. But once they start extending out, uh, you can get roots that are... 20 to 50, 60 feet away from the tree trunk. Which is why you mentioned over on the KFBK show the importance if you're using an inline emitter system to do a spiral that leads out from the trunk in a spiral going wider and wider until basically that whole drip emitter system is underneath the entire tree, if not beyond the entire tree. Exactly, and not starting right next to the trunk. Right. There's a really um, interesting diagram and discussion and a kit that you can make yourself that's on the uh, horticulture website for uc davis and i can get i can get you the um well you don't like the exact address because those (laughs) urls are kind of but i'll find it for you and give people an idea of how to get to that we can google the title of it whatever it may be exactly and uh, i'll find that i didn't uh, think of it just a few minutes ago or i would have had it up go look for it now we'll take a break good sounds perfect afterwards Coming up, uh, we answer your garden questions. Emails coming in to Fred at farmerfred.com. Got a garden question? Call us 916 576 1578 or 866 331 8255. It's Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE and KSTE.com. You're listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. And we're talking with Pam Bone, Sacramento County Master Gardener. How to correctly water a tree. Also solving your May plant problems. Call us if you have a problem. Plant problem. Can't solve your family problems. 916-576-1578 or 866-331-8255. Email. Send it to fred at farmerfred.com. We were talking about how to correctly water a tree, and there is a page at the California Center for Urban Horticulture, which is ccuh.ucd.edu, ucdavis.edu, and it's called the Rotary System Irrigation Contraption thingy. What is it? (laughs) If you go to their main page, which is that ccuh.ucdavis.edu, then there are two systems. One's called the rotary system irrigation contraption. The other's called the tree ring irrigation contraption. Mm -hmm. And the tree ring one uses inline emitters. Right. And then uh, the rotary contraption uses a rotary sprinkler, kind of a multi-stream rotary sprinkler. You get a little bit better distribution, but you can water a tree that way. And it only costs $20 to put this system together, whereas the tree ring contraption takes uh, about 100 bucks for all the parts and everything to do it the way they've got it set up. But you click on that and you can go to it, and it's really a good way to adequately water just a large landscape tree in a lawn area, um, especially if you're not watering the lawn at all. And this is a good way to do it. And it shows you exactly step by step what to use and how to do it, and so that you can put the water on just for the tree. But if you notice when you go to the main website and you look at the picture of the old tree ring irrigation contraption and you look at those inline emitters they're kind of like soaker tubing in a way um they and they are out from the trunk it looks to me they don't actually say here but it looks like um maybe two to three feet out and then out way beyond the drip line and in a spiral and Mm -hmm. if you look at the spacing i i would imagine that the inline drip system the one gallon per hour emitters are spaced 18 inches apart 
and it looks like the lines themselves in that spiral mm-hmm. are probably about two feet apart. Yeah, they are probably so. I would agree with you that. And but they are quite a way out from the tree trunk because that keeps the mm-hmm. tree trunk dry. And also where the main roots, the absorbing roots, those little roots that we often call feeder roots, but they're the fine little absorbing roots that absorb the water, they're not right next to the trunk. No. They're out exploring out into the, you know, hinterlands. They're, they're looking for water. Yeah, they're looking for water. Yeah. So they're not going to be right next to the so trunk. So somebody may say, well, why not just water it at the trunk and, and let the roots stay nearby the trunk? Well, you're not building a very strong tree that way. And the tree won't do it anyhow because uh, it's going to get water from other sources. The lawn, for instance, is being watered out beyond that uh, trunk area, uh, rainfall that comes in the spring or whatever, and the roots are going to be out wherever there's water. So, no, you just don't want it right at the trunk, and you can lead to a lot of fungal crown rot, root rot mm-hmm. diseases right there. So you don't want that. So obviously, at most, this rotary system irrigation contraption mm-hmm. that uses a rotary sprinkler at most could do maybe 75% of the surrounding area. So do you need two rotary sprinklers, basically one on either side? I just move one around. Oh, well, you could do that. Just okay. cover it later okay. because you don't want to build another one. Who wants to spend another $20? Well, you right? wouldn't be spending, you'd be buying another length of hose and another uh, no, you have rotary to, sprinkler. Right. But they added all the parts up and it came to about $20. So I'd rather just take the little contraption and move it. Well, um, I'm thinking more of a permanent arrangement. Oh, no. Yeah. It's not that pretty, but still it would work. Right. It would be. But uh, most people, this is uh, temporary. You put it out mm-hmm. when you need it. And uh, yeah, you will have a little part that's being blocked and you can't uh, get full coverage right now we should define better what we mean by a rotary sprinkler because Mm -hmm. that's the key in this because it's putting out fingers of water it's not a spray with a you know 180 degree or 270 degree angle Mm -mm. it is fingers of water i'm thinking of like the uh Hunter MP Rotator uh, Sprinkler. That's probably the most well-known one. Which sends out fingers of water at any angle that you set it at. There's a video as well that shows you, and it actually shows you these fingers that go Mm -hmm. kind of, you know, they're pulling it out into the landscape. And they put it out at a much slower um, pace, so to speak, or whatever. And the volume is less. The value of using... The rotary heads over your sprayers are many-fold, not the least of which it helps avoid runoff. And if you have a lawn on a slope, it really pays you to do the small investment of swapping out your spray heads on your sprinklers to rotary heads, which puts the water on the lawn more slowly and thus slows down the chance of runoff. However, as there's a caveat in here, it says that multi-stream rotors do apply water more slowly, but there's still the potential for runoff, depending on how heavy your soil is right, and yeah. how much you're, how long you're running it. So you do still have to be careful and monitor it. And I've looked at the efficiency rating on some of these, and some of them can go up as high as 30%, but some are only 10%. It just depends on your slope, your type mm-hmm. of soil and everything. So you do have to be careful. You can't just say, oh, I used to water for 10 minutes. Now I can water for 30 or 40. And it, no, not necessarily. It just depends. Right. Email people are sending in. John in uh, Arden Park writes in. He says, our dwarf Bing cherry tree is approximately 25 years old. It's 20 feet by 20 feet. It's been slowing down in production the last few years. Some years there's lots of cherries. Some years, like this year, hardly any at all. Has our cherry tree reached the end of its life? We also have a three-cherry, three-in-one cherry grafted tree as the pollinator. If we need to replace that, what variety can we replace that with that produces in May and does not need a pollinator? 
I okay. think we were talking about one earlier. Right. Did he say that uh, the age of that cherry 25 tree? 25 years old. Oh, yeah. With a cherry tree, particularly depending on how it's been irrigated or if it's in a lawn situation, you're getting to old age with a cherry tree in our area because of our heavy soils and they start to decline. Um, but he made it sound his three, if he had to replace his three in one, is it also doing poorly? We don't know. Yeah. So it makes it sound as if... Uh, that one might be doing poorly as well because um, that three-in-one already would be a great pollinator for a new tree Mm because he's probably got several different cherry varieties on there. Well, there's the Stella that all by itself does. It's the only cherry that I'm aware of that has really good fruit that doesn't need a pollen another tree it is self-fertile for the moment mm-hmm. and yeah I'm, I'm living proof of that the one tree we had for years in Harold was a Stella and up to the end it produced cherries every year and the only reason it ended is because I moved <laughs> <laughs> I'm still producing for somebody it, it, else it might be yeah I that's so. right yeah so that's a real good one and that produces in late May right Our, we have a Stella and the crop is super heavy this year and looks fabulous and it's um, not coloring quite yet, but uh, they, there's a lot of fruit on it. We did eventually uh, plant another cherry tree, a Bing with a tartarian on it, so a two-in-one. Mm-hmm. Have to watch it that that tartarian doesn't get too carried away with um, you know, growing out of whack because that's our tree that we want for the pollen transfer, and we don't care about the fruit as much. Uh, we want the Bing. But a lot of people say if you have another tree your stella will do even better but i and the crop is really heavy this year but we've also had good crops in the past when we didn't have the other cherries in and you said you didn't have any other cherry initially yeah for about five or six years Mm -hmm. we didn't just the stella and And still had a heavy crop yeah yeah yeah. so did we have you been out to the ferox horticulture center recently and seen their contraption for protecting the cherry tree from the spotted wing drosophila it's a big tent. It is. And I I don't know that most people would want to do that. Yes, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. It is. And I um and it's not if your trees like ours are landscape trees as well. They're in we've got a fruit landscape mm-hmm. and it would look really unattractive unless you're it was in the back 40 somewhere. So I'm not too sure how practical it is, but they're going to check it out and see if it works yeah, or not. It's a fun experiment. Right. Now, I remember back when I was doing my bike riding through Elk Grove and Wilton in that area, I'd, I'd be riding my bike by this one house. And it, it occurred to me why he had done this. But there was a PVC framework built around this bare cherry tree that I saw in the wintertime ago. That's interesting. I wonder why he's got this PVC framework around the tree. And as spring came and the tree leafed out and I saw how it grew, I saw that he would be pruning it back to fit within that framework. And then when the time came for it to be harvested and he wanted to protect it from the birds, he could easily throw netting over the entire structure. And I will say that we have to net all of our cherry trees. And I looked at them last week and we had one little tiny cherry that had a little red on it, but it was just an outlier. Mm -hmm. And I said to my husband, oh, we're going to have to put that netting on. And it's usually a two-person job initially to get that over there. And we reuse it year after year. Um, but without it, we wouldn't have a cherry left, not how, one cherry. How tall is that tree? Mm, probably about uh, not 10 feet. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That's... It's manageable. So we keep it to the point where we can get that net over it and uh, or multiple nets. Yeah. And, and the other cherry tree as well. I mean, yeah, it's just really bad because you either get um, scrub jays or other birds, but scrub jays are the worst. Um, squirrels will sometimes try to get in there too, but they're not as bad as the birds. So, 
And it's important, as you're implying there, that that netting extends all the way to the ground. And all the way. You, and you secure the netting to the ground so squirrels and birds just can't oh, crawl underneath. I found a great thing this year. Okay, so... Uh, last year, I was complaining to my husband how the tomatoes were so heavy in the cages that the cages, which we've had for probably 25 years, they're made out of that concrete uh, reinforcing okay. wire. Yeah. And so the little bottom spikes, a few of them have rusted mm-hmm. off. And right. the whole thing just kept uh, falling over with the weight. So this year, we came up with a great solution, and I found them at the 99-cent store, tent stakes. They're... Six of them or so in a package for 99 cents or a buck. And you can put them in to secure the tomato cages beautifully. And then my husband goes, aha, let's use those for the cherries, for the netting, and as well. And so mm-hmm. we're going to take those little tent stakes and help. We were using clothespins all over the place. And clothespinning, we still use the clothespins. We clothespin them to the tree. We clothespin them shut. And but down at the base, it was always hard to try to find something to clothespin it to. So now we're going to take those tent stakes and just drive them into the ground, holding the netting, and it'll work perfectly. And they're cheap. You can also find drip irrigation tubing holders, and you can buy them in packs of one hundred. And uh, some of them are twelve inches long, and they're shaped like a bobby pin. That's true. And they're uh, short, though. Well, you can buy the six. You can buy four inch. You can buy six inch. You can buy twelve inches in length. Oh, and where do you buy them at a hundred in a pack? Green I, Acres. Aha! Uh-huh, that's it. And it's for holding down drip irrigation lines, but it has a myriad of uses, like what you said. That for would be perfect. A tomato cage. The tomato is it strong? The tomato cage. We were we had some of those already, and for the tomato cage, they weren't quite long enough right. and sturdy enough for that. However, it's a great idea for the bird netting. Yeah. It, that oh, would yeah, work. It works I would for think, that. Yeah. Now, what I did on my tomato cages, the same idea was I took some old pieces of PVC pipe, like 18 to 24 mm-hmm. inches in length, drove a nail through one end, tied a rope or a twine to the nail to the cage, and then pounded that PVC pipe into the ground at an angle on three sides of the, of the uh, cage. And PVC pipe, though, is so wide. How did you get that into the... What, the nail? No, the nail went through the PVC yeah, pipe. Yeah. All the, oh, so where'd you get a nail that long? It wasn't a long nail. It was just a nail at the top just to be able to tie a rope oh. to or a twine to. And I then, get you. And then secure it to the cage and then pound that in at an angle outside the you. cage. And it works. And, and that worked, oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so... Oh, well, all kinds of interesting things that could be used. Desperate people do desperate things. Yeah, yes. well, you do something to um, protect your plants and everything else, so yes. whatever it takes. We'll take a short break. More Get Growing on the way on Talk 650 KSTE. Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. Welcome back to the program. Fred here with Sacramento County's original master gardener, Pam Bone, is here. Garden Grappler coming up at 11 o'clock. Clue available at FarmerFred.com. Clue available at the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page. And Pam Bone will be uh, judging your answers. I think we may have mentioned a few uh, and we may even mention a few of the answers just by accident sometime between now and 11 o'clock. But we'll have that garden grappler at 11 o'clock. Let's go to the phones. People with questions will make up answers. 916-576-1578 or 866-331-8255. Let's talk with... Hey, I had a question. Hi, guys, Mike. Uh, we're talking about it Mike, earlier. Mike, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Are, are you working in the shop? <laughs> 
<laughs> I have a carpet cleaner here. Oh, okay. Yeah, say, all right. Sound like you was taking a shower. <laughs> yeah. okay. Sorry about that. Go ahead, Mike. You got to clean the carpets whatever day you can. Hey, uh, the question I had was, you guys were talking earlier about lawns and trees. Now, I've called in before, Fred, and I've got this tree, uh, Chinese elm out front, and it's got a thick lawn around it. So, remove uh, the lawn. Here's how I handle the watering of the tree. Okay. I uh, I water the lawn half hour, two times a day um, in the really early, early morning hours. Every day? <clears throat> you can't find out where I'm at, can you? Uh. There are no restrictions. <laughs> there aren't any restrictions right now with a lot of the water districts. You can water okay, every yeah, day but every Monday. Day. Yeah. Why? Why, why are you watering every day? When it was really hot yeah. and dry, I did it for two hours. Every day? Every day. Isn't it sort of swampy out there? No. Is yeah. it, isn't it sort of expensive yeah, out there? Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Is well, your, we're not you, metered yet. Oh. Oh, oh. wait till you're metered. You'll yeah, never you'll, do that again. You'll change your tune quickly. Yeah. yeah. It, it makes anyway, a huge difference. So it's a, I mean, it's a, what, it's 60 years old, 68 years old. The lawn? The tree. Oh, the tree. <laughs> Yeah, it was yeah. built in 1950. The house was in yeah. 50, and they put okay. the tree out front. So are, it's a beautiful tree. Are yeah. you are you suggesting that if you cut back the watering, the tree would suffer? Well, that's what I'm concerned about. That's the main reason why I water it. I mean, the lawn looks nice, yeah, but the tree is my main concern. The tree can be watered every two weeks and still be sufficiently watered if you watered it deeply enough and uh, made sure that you adequately watered the entire root zone and you had it mulched. Let's say you just had the tree out there. The lawn was gone. You'd put down lots and lots of mulch, and maybe you might have to wean it towards that a little bit because it's been used to having so much frequent watering. But um, landscape trees, many of them can get by with a good deep soak um, even once a month. Uh, just depending the thing on that, the tree is probably three feet from two or three feet from the sidewalk. Okay. And the street. And it'll go under the sidewalk and into the street because the street's made out of asphalt and they have cracks in it, and so all the water then goes down into the root zone. So that's why we have uh, trees that have root problems in sidewalks and in um, infrastructure well, with this road one, base. Well, this one isn't causing any trouble. Good, like good. But it will get water from all over the place. The roots go all over into the landscape. Roots are not as deep as we thought they were. They go out for extensive distances. We sometimes use a rule of thumb anywhere from one and a half to two times the height of the tree is how far the roots can extend out into the landscape unless there's obstructions. Yeah, the um, I had a tree. There was a Chinese elm over on a couple streets up that fell over in the strong winds last year. Mm-hmm. And uh, I noticed that the roots branched out, but the tap root was really long. Well, that's unusual because um, most landscape trees do not have a tap root at all. 
And even oaks that start out with a taproot, it usually is gone. And in fact, people are very shocked when they do see trees that are blown over. They go, where's the taproot? It's not here anymore. There'll be maybe a a large root that starts to go down, but then it breaks off, it branches out. So they're very uncommon, even though they start off with taproots in some trees. Chinese so when they put elm, the meters in, you're saying once every two weeks. No, well, for the landscape trees separately, but you know what? It's in a lawn situation, and unless you're going to let the lawn totally die, we recommend in our area, in most soils, as a rule of thumb, twice a week watering for la- uh, lawns. And um, and I'll give you an example. In my own landscape, the lawns before the drought were watered twice a week for about 35 to 40 minutes. I did the little tuna can test or the pet food can where you set out the little cans and you run yourself a little water audit, turn mm-hmm. on the sprinklers, see how you collect it, and is it even, how long does it take before it runs off, things like that. That You kind of get to know what's going on with your own soil, your own irrigation system. Now, when the drought came, we reduced it down to once a week, and I will say that the lawn did not look quite as good, but it still thrived. And then we quit watering the front lawn entirely the last two years. Not a drop of water, except for whatever rained in the winter months, uh, for the summer. And the lawns totally dried out, looked brown as, you know, the scorched earth. And then as soon as the winter rains came, that lawn is all green again. It all came back. Not one blade of grass died except for that that's in the shade that's too shady. Were there any injuries to the plants surrounding the lawn? No, because I don't have any trees or shrubs in the lawn. So even though the lawn was completely cut off, I still have all my tree irrigation systems, which are on micro-spray drip irrigation. They were still getting watered. And they were still getting watered. That is the mistake I see a lot of people make, is when they cut off the water to the lawn, they're cutting off water to not only the trees that may be in the lawn, but right next to the lawn that were depending on sprinkler water. That's right, because the roots go way out into there. And I do know for a fact my Japanese maple, my pin oak, and all of those have roots in the lawn. The front lawn is small enough uh, that they were still getting a lot of water beyond the lawn area. So uh, because of the um, microsprays that they have, uh, I have set up. And I've adjusted different ways and, and that. But even with the microsprays, they might run for three or four hours once a week. Um, I don't. There's nothing watered in the landscape uh, more than once a week. Except for occasionally the lawns when it's not a drought. Or maybe container plants. Oh, container plants, yes, of course. Those are totally different. Sometimes those have to be watered daily, depending on the temperatures. Well, Mike, uh, when you start getting watery bills, uh, tell me about your new watering regimen. (laughs) Hey, Fred, I'm going to send you a picture of a lemon tree that I won from you in my yard, and I'll send it to you, and you can tell me the best place to plant it. Okay. Out, don't put it in a lawn. Yeah, That's that, an, yes. The reason is we get more complaints at the Master Gardener phone line about cherry trees and citrus trees. And when they're not doing well, the first thing I ask is, is it growing in a lawn? Yeah. So don't, well, don't plant it. the problem is the whole backyard's a lawn. Well, then it needs to be in an area where you can have it cut away or make a, a little planting bed yeah. for it or something because... It definitely doesn't like lawn irrigation. Uh, yeah, especially for a lemon tree. No. I, I would cut out a six-by-six six area yeah. out of the lawn in full sun and plant it there. In full sun? In definitely. full sun, yeah. yeah. They okay. can tolerate a little bit of shade um, because mine does, but uh, full sun's the best. Yeah, and, and afternoon shade would be okay. If it's getting eight hours of sun a day, that should yes. be plenty. Yeah. All 
right. All right. Hey, well, thanks, Fred. You guys are great. I love your show. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for calling right. in. Okay, good luck with the water police. All right. <laughs> All right, we'll take a short break. More Get Growing on the Way on Talk 650 KSTE. You're listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. Along with Pam Bone, Sacramento County Master Gardener, we're answering your gardening questions at 5761578 here in the 916 or 8663318255 email send it to fred at farmerfred.com Amy in Sacramento thanks for holding welcome to the show Hi um I was reading the bee yesterday Why? Oh go ahead. <laughs> yeah, hardly anything to read. Um they had an article about pots mm-hmm. and it said about the soil do not use pot soil left over from last year which is compacted, full of fertilizer salts, and possibly disease. Well, the, the disease possibility would be true, especially if you're growing maybe tomatoes from previous years. You might be bringing over some diseases or nematodes. What are you planning on putting into the pots? Um, flowers. Mm-hmm. Well, I will say that I do uh, reuse uh, potting soil. A lot of times I will uh, freshen it up with fresh new compost that I have, and I try to make sure that it's soil that was just abandoned because the flowers died out. They were annuals or something like that, and it wasn't because, oh, the thing died from some other problem or some disease or or whatever. So, uh, And uh, fertilizer salts, I don't have to worry about that because I do not fertilize very much at all, and especially in my container plants, I probably should do more. So they never really build up because they don't get fertilizer so if you weren't heavy-handed on the fertilizer, and the other thing you can do with that is if you want to mix it up and put some fresh soil in with it or some compost and then water it through and kind of leach it out if you think that was a problem. Um, so I have reused uh, garden soil with no detrimental effect. I did see that article as well. So What I usually end up doing is putting it in my raised beds. Mm-hmm. Well, well I, yeah. I took it to mean that if it was still in the bag, then you still had it left over. Oh, no. And no, I couldn't no. figure out why it would go bad. No, no, no. In the bag, it's fine. They they were probably thinking um, in pots. And you know what I will do if I'm even questionable at all, and I um, the, the old stuff that came out of an, a pot, I'll put it in my compost pile, recompost it, and then use it as compost later on. So Yeah, but the soil you have in a bag that you're keeping in the garage or whatever is Mm-mm. fine. It can last for years and years yeah. and years. Believe me, I know. I've had some that sort of got squirreled away and didn't notice it for years later. Oh, there's some more potting mix. Yep. So you're oh, okay. I have another question. Okay. It says, do not use bags of topsoil. I didn't understand what that meant either because um, if you go to the garden center, one thing you'll notice is that there's all different kinds of things that are called compost, topsoil, potting mix. Potting soil. Potting soil. And if you read the back of the label, they almost are all the exact same stuff. You can look. Some of them have fertilizer in it. Some don't. Um, Some of them might have vermiculite or perlite in it. Uh, to lighten it up if it's going to go in a pot the stuff that goes in yes. the ground isn't and magical yeah. ingredients like mycorrhizae or or biochar yeah sometimes <laughs> you'll see that as well so they are very very similar stuff um, for the most part if you talk to the distributors of it it's um, chippings from sawmills um, it's the wood products that come out of the sawmills and then some of them are doctored up with other things that are added to it 
Yeah, it might have a pH buffer in it. Um, might have manure. Some of them yeah. do. Um, it, it. You just have to pick one that you think looks good and works well for you. And um, and I don't care if it's called topsoil, compost, or potting mix. Uh, to me, they all act about the same. Uh, I just pick one that I. I open up the bag and go, oh, that looks pretty nice. I like that. I think, though, I would be leery of using a product labeled topsoil until I knew what it looked like when it leached out of the container and onto the patio because some of these topsoil blends can really stain a patio when the water is leached out. And I don't know why it is, Fred, because they're darker for some reason, and I'm not sure what it is. Just turn the bags over and read what's inside of the bag and then um, visually take a look at it and see if you like it or not. Lots of times you can't see what's in it. Yeah, that's no, true. No, well, yeah. the first time you use it, then you can decide. Yeah. I have to admit, I found a product that I like particularly well, and I just use it every year, the same same one. That's what I use for my containers. So. What do you use? Yeah, Pam, what I do you know. use? <laughs> hey. You can mention it. I can't. You can. No, I'm a master gardener. I'm not supposed oh. to mention it either. I'm not supposed to give away oh. products. Oh, so. Oh, golly. I know. See? Anyhow. Well, let's just say, I think there's a, well, I was going to say, I think. You're going to be clever here? Well, no, there's a couple different ones that I use. Actually, uh, do they still sell the old super soil here? Because when I was up at my daughter's house in Washington State, I hadn't seen super soil in years. They had super soil. That was my go-to. I don't think they even carry it here anymore. Yeah, I, no, I did see it at a big box store. Oh, well, anyhow, week. that stuff yeah. was wonderful. But, it may have um, changed over the years. Yeah, so anyhow, I think I found something that had the word miracle in it or something like that. Oh, so. you didn't. Yeah, something. Not, not, you know, not the fertilizer stuff. Okay. No. Well, okay, because they do have that soil mix now that does contain the fertilizer. <clears throat> oh, I don't know. No, I didn't get anything with fertilizer. Yeah. Nope, don't okay. do that. Yeah. So, Amy, I hope we uh, confused you a little bit more. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? It is confusing, though. It really is yeah. because uh, you buy all of this stuff, and I even was reading labels because my we went to Washington State and helped my daughter put in a whole bunch of raised beds for vegetable gardens. and They have raised bed mixes. <laughs> and raised bed mixes, and we were looking at all of these different products and, and plus wanting something cheap as well. Yeah. That we were going to mix with some of her soil in her landscape where she was taking it out of building a patio. Because if you put all compost or topsoil or whatever that stuff's called in, it's very expensive. And um, and you need some of the, the good earth out there to buffer the whole thing and, and to hold moisture and to have good beneficial things in there and earthworms and all that kind of thing. And believe me, it was a maze of... Um, of just terms and and things so i i know you just have to find something that you think looks good and works well and stick with it yeah i mean there's only so many possible products it could be made out of and it's just the ratio of the products and in to the tell bag. you the truth i can't remember it, it's not the one with the word miracle on i Thank can't you. remember what it was all called right. um yeah it's sort of a green bag that's all i can think of so uh, that's the one yeah, yeah maybe so okay. i don't know all right hey uh, amy thanks for the call Okay, thank oh, you. All right, bye-bye. All right, yeah, it's uh, it's a confusing world. I'm still trying to get the definition of potting mix versus potting soil. Oh, straight. I know. I, I don't I, know that I there know. is actually one, or compost. If you read um, and if you look at the active ingredients on there, the only thing that I did notice is that some of the ones that are saying potting mix, potting soil, will sometimes have perlite mm-hmm. uh, in them, whereas the compost products don't. So Would it t- be perlite or vermiculite? Or vermiculite. You'll yeah. see both of them. One or the other. Yeah, just read the label sometimes. It's very conf- it's even more confusing after that. And like you said, some have fertilizer 
Many don't. Yeah, and yeah. If, especially with a seed starting mix, you don't want any fertilizer mm-hmm. in it. And that's no. a, and there are some things that I use for double duty. Uh, I have this bag of, of what's called a seed mulch, and I'm looking at the consistency of it. I'm reading the label. I go, well, this could be a seed starting mix too. Besides oh. being a seed mulch, yeah. It's like, you know, and the other thing is, is that, you know how there's specialty products, like if you grow succulents and cacti, right, and, yeah. and they tell you you have to use a certain mix. I have a neighbor that grows the most amazing succulents. Her whole landscape in pots is just lush looking succulents. A lot of hen and chick type things, mm-hmm. but others as well. And I said, what do you use? I don't know. I just buy a bag of whatever says potting mix at the, at the grocery store or at the uh, big box stores and use it. And, and these things have been growing for years and they look fabulous. So it's something you hit on that you like and works well. Here's a bit of inside baseball. Uh, according to the nursery industry, succulent sales have gone from 10% of sales to 30% of sales. Oh, wow. To show you how popular they're becoming. They're in everything. Yeah. My daughter that just got married um, in March, succulents in her bouquet. Um, that were just really? tucked in. Yeah, and you know what I did? I pulled them all out of all the bridesmaids' um, bouquets and her bouquet, and I'm rooting them, <laughs> okay. growing them. All right, we're going to take a break for news. When we come back, it's time for the Garden Grappler Clue available at FarmerFred.com. Clue available at the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page. It's coming up as we continue with Get Growing on this Mother's Day. There's a clue for you here on Talk 650 KSTE. <music> Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. All right, it's Garden Grappler time. A chance for you to pick up a prize or two from the Farmer Fred prize closet if you're up on your garden good guys. Name a beneficial insect or a pollinator that begins with a letter from the word mothers. M-O-T-H-E-R-S. Just choose one of those letters. Give it a beneficial insect or a pollinator, and you only have to do one letter. And by the way, unlike previous uh, contests of this nature, the letter will not be eliminated. So if somebody uh, uses the M for for a beneficial or a pollinator, feel free to use the M again for a different pollinator or beneficial insect, okay? Pam Bone will be judging this contest because she is a mother. Name a beneficial insect and a master gardener. Name a beneficial insect or pollinator that begins with a letter from the word mothers. All five callers get a prize, special bonus prize for caller five, because as you know, in the Garden Grappler, you cannot repeat an earlier answer. And I think along the way, we've mentioned a few answers. I don't know. Not sure. We kind of got a lot of good questions uh, that were called in and uh, emailed in and kind of got off on those clue available at farmerfred.com clue available at the get growing with farmer fred facebook page the numbers to call in 916-576-1578 or 866-331-8255 name a beneficial insect or a pollinator that begins with a letter from the word mothers if we do not get a grand prize winner with caller five pam bone gets the prize that's the way because she's a mother Aha. I'm a mother three times over, too. Congratulations. Yes, thank you. And I'll have two of my daughters with me this afternoon for dinner and Mother's Day. It'll be great. And I'll have my 90, well, she'll be 98 next month, mother-in-law, also. So I'm actually doing part of the dinner. My husband's barbecuing the chicken. And yeah, it'd be great having her over as well. Any kids left at the house? Yeah, I have my, my youngest one, who's 24, 
is at home, but she's leaving in the fall to go get her master's degree at Long Beach. Okay. So she's out, and this will be the first time in 33 years, because my oldest one is, well, she's not quite 33 yet, but uh, she will be. And uh, 33 years that we haven't had somebody at home at some point or another um, in between their uh, colleges or whatever. So, yeah. Who, who gets the old bedrooms? So, yeah, I know. Right now, um, that we're holding that one open because, you know, remember, she has two years of master's. Who knows what will happen after that? So <laughs> might be back. I've got two of them married off, so they're completely gone. Now we have to start uh, doing something with the, the bedrooms. We're doing so much out in the yard and the landscape. We just um, took out some lawn, 200 square feet of the front lawn area, and put in a native plant garden hmm. uh, exclusively, So, Ooh. except for the crepe myrtle that's already there, yeah. which is really nice. I just love it. It's, it's exciting. So I'm trying to decide what to do with that other uh, small 600 square foot uh, portion of the lawn in the front. I'm going to keep the back lawn. You know, the 24-year-old, I saw her boyfriend and her and she were out there doing cartwheels and handstands on the lawn so they're still using the lawn and i like it still i still like a little bit of lawn but i do water it very efficiently i have a question about your new california native yeah garden how much of it is in shade that's the problem i have so much shade it's really hard coming up with things that do well in shade so and beyond that plants for dry shade dry shade exactly one thing is we do get late afternoon sun, and that helps. So some of the stuff that uh, do, does better with some sun are, is at the edge where that late afternoon sun then kind of beats down on it. It's really it's a hard combination. You're in shade most of the day except for the late afternoon. It's blazing hot mm-hmm. in one section or a lot of sun on it. So uh, coming up with ideas. So we'll see how everything does. I've got a manzanita in there and... Um, some yarrow and uh, some of the native grasses, um, native sedges. So we'll see. Um, I, I think I've worked it out. So far, everything looks really well. It's only been planted for about three weeks. So well, What I find, I did a blog uh, at the Farmer Fred Rant uh, last year called Plants for Dry Shade. And uh, there's a picture of you in it. <laughs> what? Yeah, it's a picture of you standing at the uh, UC Davis trial grounds with Carrie Reed. Oh, my gosh, yes. They've got that really great uh, um, water-saving plants. uh, What do they call that whole? Testing. Testing. They're testing plants to save water, and uh, I get to go out and evaluate the plants, along with a lot of other people from the industry and master gardeners and that that do that. I missed it this year because we were up in Washington State helping plant berries and blueberries and raspberries and raised beds and painting and helping. So even though my two daughters have moved out and have their own houses, we're back all the time helping them prune or planting or whatever. But it's great because I have two of them so far that love gardening and planting fruit trees and berries and doing compost piles. My oldest daughter has uh, two compost piles. And my youngest daughter just, I mean, my middle daughter just started a compost pile. So glad to see it's passing on. So among the plants that uh, yeah. those plant trials came up with, with plants for dry shade, uh-huh. uh, included a compact Oregon grape variety. Yeah, I, have, I already have that in a, a California, California fescue, mm-hmm. uh, Festuca californica, a walking iris, Neomerica chirulia, mm-hmm. a walking iris, Don't have that. Uh, Australian bluebell creeper, the Salia heterophylla. Um, also, a uh, ceratostigma plumbagunoids. Uh, 
Serotostigma plumbaginoids. Yeah. Whatever. A Dianella tasmanica. A couple of cordylines, uh, festival grass and purple. An abelia called sunshine daydream. And a ligustrum, which, you know, immediately when you say ligustrum, you think privet. Who wants a privet? This is a ligustrum sinense called sunshine. Yeah, actually, I've been seeing that sunshine. Um, it's a completely different type of privet. I First time I ever heard it, too. What? You're planting privet? But it doesn't even look the same. The leaves look completely different. Um, and it's a nice tame thing and doesn't uh, spread all over the place and blackberries all over the place. So, no, there's, there's quite a few... Um, Things, if you stretch your mind, my problem was is also coming up with California natives okay. that are not just Mediterranean plants. California pipe vine. And yes, and I do have two California pipe vine growing beautifully. So okay. instead of, I was talking over at KFBK how my snowberry was devastated mm-hmm. by this awful larva that turned out to be a sawfly. I thought it was a caterpillar. And um, instead of those showing up, why doesn't the pipe vine butterfly show up at yeah. some point? So. Western anyway. spice bush. That's a California and native. And I actually have that as well planted, and okay. it's doing great in shade. And it's huge, in fact. It looks uh, great. The snowberry, by the way, that I just mentioned, does well in dry shade. An ivy, uh, or actually, not an ivy, ivy leaf cyclamen. Mm. Okay. Oh, that's a good There's one. There's one. Japanese holly fern. Uh, I don't think that's, oh, a, that's yes. not a native, though. I don't. No, think. it's not a native, but that's yeah. a good one, and I have that as well. Okay. So. Um, hellebores and eucharis yeah. don't require much water. You can take the shit. No. The hellebores, they don't require much water, but mine is slower than molasses in growing. Yeah, would, I just can't get it to grow very quickly. Would you dare grow an evergreen currant, Ribes viburnifolium? Yes. Okay. It's uh, a California native, good shade tolerant ground cover oh, it's under a great, native oaks. Oh, yeah, definitely. Evergreen currant um, ground cover. In fact, we used to have it uh, years ago. In the landscape, but then we redid the area, and I don't have it. I'm actually thinking of that one for the front yard mm-hmm. if I decide to go with um, natives in the other small section. Okay. I'm let's, trying to debate. Yeah. It's a perfect one for under oak trees, by the way. Let's go to the phones. It's Phil from Moraga who doesn't want to be on the Garden Grappler. Well, I figure somebody else might want to win today, so I want you to use the same answer as last week. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, hi, Cam. Happy Mother's Day. Um, Thank like you. I you all day. When you came up to Yuba City when I was getting my master gardener stuff, oh. four hours of heaven. It was great. Oh, well, thank you so four much. Four hours of heaven. Heaven, I like four it. Four hours of heaven. <laughs> I was actually, Where did that come from? I, I was actually up there teaching landscape trees. That's what I was doing. But I'm glad to know that learning about landscape trees is heaven for you. Thank you. Pam Bone, four hours of heaven. <laughs> Well, thank you. You made my Mother's Day. <laughs> it was worth coming on the radio on Mother's Day. No breakfast in bed for me. I just get compliments from the callers. Yes. Thank you. So, Phil, you had a soil question, I do believe. Yeah, I was actually up in uh, Linden this last week. At a, ch- at, at a cherry own. festival? No, no. I went I went to see a friend. Okay. And check out his garden. He's got, he's got peppers that are the size of baseball. Not baseballs, but tennis balls, maybe. Wow. Already? So he him inside. He's oh. got the, his yard is perfect. It's amazing. Wow. Potato plants are like four or five foot tall. Nice. Yeah. Anyway, and that's not, I called about his soil. He's He's got like um, the 420 soil in the Fox Farm. And they've all got um, like that guano mm-hmm. and kelp meal and, and um, 
Well, you know, all the stuff that's in there. And this yeah. must How be... How often you, you need to, to re-amend that with fertilizer? Well, you're that's talking about question. raised beds then or containers? Um, there's there's uh, really cool um, plastic bag containers. Plastic bag or, or mesh bag type? The mesh bag, the big, the ones that they can use over and over. Yeah, the earth and, pot. And we're not and we're not talking about pot yet, so we're just talking about yeah, right. Vegetables. Yes, earth pot is what that container is called. Oh, it is. Yeah, oh, I didn't. Oh, know. Those things are amazing. They're great. Yeah, yeah they are. I'm amazed at uh, how well they last. Wow. Well, so it's the four, four years on these ones. Wow. And he wants to use the soil again to put new stuff in. No, um, no, 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 no. He, no. He's using Fox Farm and or 420 soil. Right. Mm-hmm. Which has got a lot of really cool stuff in it. Yeah. So I'm just wondering how how often these should be fertilizing. Oh, fertilizing. Oh. Because it's got all this good stuff in it. I mean, the soil, is it going to last for the whole season? Or does he, everybody needs to want to pump salt? To pump fertilizer. Everybody. You, you know what I recommend friends. in containers because you're watering much more frequently. Whether it's a bag container or a pot or whatever, it's if he's watering quite a bit and it's eventually going to leach out the fertilizer. And those nutrients, they're great, but they are fairly low because they're organic and they're low. And so he may need to supplement. And in a container, I like people to just use a liquid fertilizer for house plants um, and dilute it down. And just use it occasionally. Don't get heavy-handed at all, but uh, you can just do that. Any Fer- old fertilizer. Fertilize weekly, weekly? Yeah, maybe weekly or even a couple of times a month. If, mm-hmm. if you ever, And half, don't do half, it right away. Half, half strength. I'm sorry to interrupt. Yeah, half, half strength. strength. And don't do it right away. I mean, he's obviously, if he's just planted, everything's fresh, and he's got lots of nutrients in there, he doesn't need it. But if he's noticing anything at all, a little off-color, the growth isn't quite as good, then, um, yeah, just a half-strength, some sort of uh, fertilizer that uh, would be used in containers. If you want to do it, you could go buy a, an inexpensive NPK test kit, too, and see what the nitrogen level is. Yeah, no, I, I just I recommended uh, kelp, liquid kelp meal and, and um, fish emulsion. Yeah, yeah. No, that's good stuff. That, that's it, good stuff, too. As long as his neighbors don't mind the stench, yeah. <laughs> fine. Oh, the neighbors have dogs. They don't care. There's cows and cows. Okay. And oh, well, then all you're all stuff. set. Yeah, yeah anything. It. If he's going organic, fish emulsion is um, excellent, and yep. it's low. Uh, it's hard to burn with fish emulsion, Five generally. 511, usually. Yeah. Yep. Phil, yeah. we got to run here. See you later. Have a great day. All right. Thanks, for, Thanks calling, for calling, Phil. All right. We'll take a short break. We'll get to your garden grappler answers. We still have an open line at 576-1578 in the 916 or 866-331-8255. Name a beneficial insect or pollinator that begins with a letter from the word mothers, M-O-T-H-E-R-S. It's the garden grappler. It's going on Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. You're listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. All right, let's go to the Garden Grappler. We have a few contestants, but this contest takes five contestants. The numbers to call in, 916-576-1578 or 866-331-8255. The question is, name a beneficial insect or a pollinator that begins with a letter from the word mother. Pam Bone, an official mother, will be the judge for today's competition. First up, it's uh, Lori uh, up in Weimar, or is it Weimar? It's Weimar. It is Weimar. Okay, good. Yes. As opposed to the Weimar Republic. All right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's obscure Well, fact. I would say that a honeybee for the letter H would be a pollinating bug. 
Oh, excellent. Of yeah. course. The number one thing that people always think of. Honeybee's good right. answer. Yes. And what we have for everybody from the folks at Our Water, Our World, some great handouts on how to control slugs and snails and how to keep fleas off your pets and out of your homes. So I'll be sending that your way. Great. Slugs Thanks and snails and fleas. All right. Thanks, Lori. Good job. Thank you. All right. So honeybees uh, now, we can cross that off the list. However, if you have another pollinator or beneficial insect that begins with the letter H, that would be fine. Okay. So the letter H has not been eliminated. So mothers, M-O-T-H-E-R-S, name a beneficial or a pollinator. John down in Fallbrook, go ahead, be my guest. Well, good morning, you two. Morning. Happy Mother's Day. Thank um, you. Um, I also have a question when we're done here. Great. Um, um, my pollinator would be a, a hoverfly. Oh, hoverfly. There you go. I was hoping, I was glad he was going to let people use um, the letters again because hoverfly is a great one, and, and people don't often think of, it's an interesting sort of looking, flattened looking uh, insect that hovers around. What, so. It's a beneficial. It's a beneficial, And what yeah. is interesting about the hoverfly, too, is its uh, larval stage and the way it looks, too, which is different. So, so John, go ahead. What is your uh, query, as we say? <laughs> uh, I have potatoes in the ground now and also in a, in a, a couple pots, and, and they're going to be uh, coming ripe, I hope, in June sometime. I wondered what else I could plant I was kind of wanting to plant sweet potatoes, but uh, I'm not sure that's the right time to do it. Remember, John's in Fallbrook down in San Diego, so the rules are a little bit differently down there. Um, I don't know about growing sweet potatoes down there. Now, here, you'd be planting them like in March or April? Yeah, they're, uh, yeah. Do you guys, um, and you grow sweet potatoes successfully down there? I haven't, no. That was just a thought. Oh, okay. It's sort of like me saying, yeah, I grow avocados. Well, <laughs> no, not really, but I try. <laughs> huh. So, I... so what else well, What else would be a, a, a good vegetable to grow uh, starting in, like, late June? Oh, any of the squash family members. Yeah. I've got that going already. Okay, so you, and you got melons. You got uh, you got uh, the eggplant. You got the cucumbers. Eggplant. Yeah. Eggplant or cucumbers. That would be a great idea. Uh, oh, good. I I haven't, but I will. Okay. <laughs> All right. Go for it. <laughs> Thank you very much. All right, John. <laughs> you know, you you uh, you're going to give me that slug and uh, snail control deal for being able to choose the pollinator. Is there a chance you could slip in the uh, aphid control that you were giving away last week? I just made a note of that. And, you know, I oh. just I was just um, trying to think about sweet potatoes. Are you um, under the influence of too much coastal fog where you are, or do you have a lot more uh, heat in that part of the San Diego area? Uh, I'm, I'm probably 20 miles from the coast up in the foothills. Oh, okay. Uh, well... And does it stay? Does it stay pretty warm? The reason is you could grow sweet potatoes there. Um, it's the north coast that it, they just don't grow at all because it's just too foggy and too cool. Um, are you above fifty degrees most of the time and pretty warm there? Uh, above sixty. Fifty. Uh, fifty. Five zero. Oh, yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah, Come on, yeah, it's San Diego, yeah. Pam. Well, he's twenty miles inland, and he's up a little bit in the foot. You're probably fine. You know what? I think sweet potatoes would be fine. 
but it's late in the year to do that, I guess, huh? Well, uh, for us here, it would be late in the year. No, I don't know. I I think I would try them. I actually do. I think you could probably get away with it now, too, because they like warm soil, and it's warm now, and I I know um, Tom Evans, one of the master gardeners who used to write a column for the bee, he used to plant his sweet potatoes in our area out even as late as June and uh, oh. did well. So that's what I'm thinking. Oh. Why not try it? Oh, okay. I, I, I guess I will. Uh, thank you very much for your help. Yeah, sure. Bye now. Or try March. <laughs> or try. March is for up here. Well, I don't, you that's know. Here. That's I'm, for potatoes. Okay. That, that's for sweet potatoes. Yes. I'm talking about sweet potatoes. Yeah, sweet potatoes. Yeah, I understand. I, okay. Yeah. I, all, right. all right. Thank you very much. All right. Bye-bye. All right. Now, Bye-bye. the thing in his favor of growing them now would be the fact that they need a soil temperature of 70 to 75 degrees. That's it. They need a really warm soil temperature. Mm-hmm. They do need some time to mature. That's the problem. But he's he's in an area where I think he's going to have a long enough season and do just fine with planting them right now. Right. Um, about what? I think they need three to four months to really mature but he should have that this is remember we're not even quite toward the middle of may yeah, yeah. he should do just fine all right yeah susie and sam fact, are, i think we could do just fine too susie and sam Rafael, go ahead name us a insect or a pollinator uh from the word mothers well i don't have the latin name of this thing but it they're moths I, I, my friend is a gardener and she told me moths and i'll i'll give you a quick other one mosquitoes too that, Is that yeah, right? Yeah, mosquitoes are sort of an incidental pollinator. Oh, they are. And moths are incidental pollinators. And moths pollinators. are definitely, yeah. they, oh. for yeah. pollination, you're right, yeah. that's true. Beneficial in other ways, it depend on what specific moth or oh, <laughs> a beneficial okay. mosquito, eh, I don't think there is such uh, a thing. Well, it's incidental. Incidental, incidental meaning they didn't know if they were main. If you were looking for main No, 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 you're no, no, fine. You're fine. Whatever. Yeah, that, that works just but, fine, Susie. Okay, well, someone told me, well, don't get rid of those. Those are good, too. They can help pollinate. Yeah. You never know. So I let them go. <laughs> All right, so I'll send you that literature on how to control snails and slugs and keeping fleas off your pets and out of your homes. Oh, thank you very much. All right, Susie, thanks for calling. All right. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Caller number four in today's Garden Grappler is Marilyn here in Sacramento. So, Marilyn, go ahead, give us one of those mother words we're looking for. Um, I'm going to go with tachnid flies. Tachinid fly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Those are fine. That's yes. a good one. Oh wow, you must have uh, really pulled that one out. That's great. Um, that's a that's farmerfred.com. Farmerfred. Yeah. Oh, see, yeah, see? perfect. Yeah, 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 the the, right. the the source. That's yes, good. There you go. Perfect. Good answer, Marilyn. So I'll be sending you uh, all that nifty literature. Awesome. Thank All right. You. Thanks, Marilyn. And, and we are just about out of time here. It's just about eleven thirty, and we don't have a caller five, which means Pam Bone wins today's prize. What? Uh, let me get it. Ah, it's over here. Oh, I brought it with me. Really? Oh, by the way, while you're fishing that out, that's fabulous. I love it. Yeah. Uh, though I'm sure somebody would call in. However, your website does have a whole list of uh, beneficials, and you've got links to photos and plants and everything else so what do i i love me some beneficials anyway pam bone for being calling number five is i should make you work for it so name a couple of of, uh, beneficials or pollinators that begin with a letter from the word mothers oh a letter oh i i I have a fun one earwigs no one would ever think of earwigs at all yeah and yet i have 
uh, apple trees with not only codling moth, but I have woolly apple aphid. And do you know that earwigs are used commercially in commercial orchards? They've done some scientific tests on that to use them to control woolly apple aphids. So you think earwigs are bad, but they can actually be quite good. Name one more. Uh, let's see. What else? Surfing flies. Okay, there you go. There's the S. All right. <laughs> Pam Bone wins. Two tickets to the Gardens of the Hills tour and art event going on next Saturday and Sunday in in El Dorado County through parts of Folsom, El Dorado Hills, Rescue, and uh, Shingle Springs. It's a fundraiser for the Assistance League, and uh, she'll get two tickets to enjoy those beautiful gardens. That is fabulous. I can take one of my daughters or maybe my husband and go go. maybe get some ideas, too, for the rest of my landscape. Congratulations. And by the way, thank you for coming on the show today. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. It, it was a real pleasure. All right. Pam Bone, Master Gardener, always a pleasure. When we come back, we're going to get some tips on building raised beds from another Master Gardener, Dan Vieira, coming up as we continue with Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. We are on the road at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center. It's Open Garden Day here in Fair Oaks. And I'm talking with Master Gardener Dan Vieira, who spends a lot of his time out here at the Raised Beds, the vegetable garden section of the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center. First of all, let's talk about these raised beds. These are sturdy raised beds, and I love the supports. Right, the supports are actually cyclone fence posts that were cut. Uh, I think it was 30 inches, and uh, we use those uh, with the redwood, so it'll uh, be easy, and the bra- we have brackets on them, so it's easy to slide in and out new boards once they, the redwood deteriorates. So that's how we did those. They're 20 feet long, 4 feet wide, and 18 inches deep, except for the one over here. We have one over in the corner that's for people that have uh, bad backs or uh, maybe disabilities. It's a little higher. It's about, what, 24 inches? The 30 inches high? I think it's 30 inches tall. And how tall are these? These are... These are 18. 18. Yeah. But it it doesn't look like it's constructed with uh, two eights. What do you got, a 12 and a 6 on there? Oh, oh, yeah, we do. We have a 12-inch piece of redwood on the bottom, then we topped it with a 6 to give the total of 18, if my math is correct. Okay, yeah, so you got 2x12s on the bottom and 2x6s on top of that. Right. Supported about, what, every 10 feet by those cyclone fence posts? The cyclone fence posts in the middle are cemented in uh, because we didn't want any blowouts uh, from the weight and the length of the bed. The ones on the end, we pounded in with rubber mallets. So that was a lot of fun. <laughs> now, raised beds are great. They warm up quicker in the spring. It makes weeding a lot easier, makes uh, harvesting crops a lot easier. What was the soil mixer? Tell me about the soil that you use in these beds. Well, in these particular beds, we decided on a mix of 70% topsoil and 30% compost, mainly because if you put more compost in, it decomposes and the soil level will drop a lot quicker. So it seemed to work out pretty well. The first year or two, of course, you know, we had a lot of disturbed soil. It was new soil. It didn't get a lot of good plant growth. But year two and three, we kept amending it with compost and uh, some good uh, chicken manure stuff that we buy the fertilizer. And every year we seem to get better and better crops out of it. So when you're renovating the soil, are you doing it in the fall? Well, in the fall, some of these beds are actually planted in cover crops. Mm -hmm. Um, And we usually do two beds in cover crops. um, And then uh, we'll put compost in about every two years. We'll add, dig in some compost. But we rotate and we also solarize one bed a year usually. 
we've had some problems with fusarium and some other nematodes, things mm-hmm. like that. And so we do we do solarize. So that'll be coming up, I imagine, during June and July, where you'll have a demonstration bed out here covered in clear plastic, right. and with uh, signage explaining uh, solarization and the fact that it kills a whole host of, of pests, uh, nematodes, or weed seeds, and things like that. Yeah, it uh, yeah it'll uh, destroy the seeds, uh, the actual weed itself. If you have a weedy bed, and nematodes especially is uh, what we what we use it for. Uh, we don't have too many weeds out here. We're kind of fanatical about weeds. Now you did mention, and we should stress this about by having multiple raised beds, you're doing crop rotation. Talk a little bit about right. that. Well, one year, uh, as we rotate like farmers do, at least uh, good farmers, um, we do crops. We do uh, our squashes and uh, cucumbers in one bed, uh, cucurbit family. Then we'll do our tomatoes and peppers and eggplant and potatoes in a a bed or two. The solanaceae. Solanaceae, right. And then uh, every year or two, uh, we'll go back to that bed with the same the same crop but we try to rotate uh in fact we have a bed over uh, you can see you can't see that on the radio but uh we have a bed planted this year that's all uh fusarium resistant tomatoes Mm. because we've had problems with fusarium wilt Um, they're the old standards the better boys the uh, early girls the whopper things like that looking for a vfn after the name of the tomatoes yeah exactly a lot of people that come out here have problems they plant tomatoes in the same bed every year and then the tomatoes start deteriorating year after year the quality and the and the yields and we we tell them well maybe you should uh, really amend that bed or rotate it, your tomatoes to a different area and plant them this year and see how they look so and fusarium is one of the things that you you run into when you don't rotate your crops so the rotation is basically uh, a quarter you have eight beds here so are like two beds solanaceae and two are uh, leaf crops and two might be some nitrogen feeders and the other are uh, either what dormant or cover crops yeah we'll uh some of them will be a cover crop. Some of them, one will be solarized. Um, I, I think that's in plan this year. Usually we do. So, yeah, we do rotate our crops around bed to bed. We actually have nine beds. We have the, the 30-inch height bed over there. So there are nine total raised beds out here. We also use a lot of containers because people at home use containers. So we try different types of containers, different plants to see how they'll do. Um, we also have a straw bale area. We're growing uh, dwarf tomatoes in that straw bale this year. And you have drip irrigation in all these beds. And what I find interesting, these beds are four feet wide, and yet you have four inline drip emitter lines, half-inch drip emitter lines, running the lengths of the bed. And not three, but four, so they're spaced a foot apart. And with raised beds, because of the the footprint of the water, it's narrower because the drainage is so good. And by putting in four in, you get more overlap of the water. Yeah, we had three for the first few years we had these beds, and we didn't get the spread we were looking for. Uh, some you know, The edges weren't getting some water, areas that weren't getting irrigated. So we just uh, transitioned into four, just put four of the lines in each bed. It's better distribution. We also stagger the emitters. Um, we'll start one and then start the, the second one with the first emitter halfway there, so it's staggered in the bed so water gets to a larger area what's the spacing on the emitters these are 12s i believe we had 18s and we went to 12s mm-hmm. um you can i think you can buy 6 12 and 18 right. if you're looking for um, drip irrigation on your own garden 
Are there individual on-off valves for each bed? Yeah, each bed has an on-off valve, which is very good for conserving water. If you don't have a bed planted, you don't want to be irrigating it when you're doing the rest of them. We also have a spray head in each one. Uh, if we seed a bed, uh, we'll set the timer to spray and keep them nice and moist until they germinate. Mm. So that was a nice touch that we've used. Uh, we don't have to be out here every day hand watering everything. Now, one crop that really can't be rotated very easily, and I love the support system for it, is the asparagus you're growing here. And I see that uh, asparagus harvest season has ended for you guys because you, you've let the fronds grow, and now they're about five and a half feet tall. Yeah, they were huge a year ago. Um, these are monsters. They, <laughs> they just keep growing. So I think there's three different varieties in there. Um, we have a tag if people want to come out and, re and uh, check the varieties. But uh, this is only the second year, we've full year, we've had asparagus. Mm. We, we planted an entire bed of nothing but perennials, um, just as sort of a, to show people that uh, there are certain plants you can keep in year after year. Well, that would explain then why their fronds in May is because the plants are only two years old. Because generally when you grow asparagus, you're growing a plant for three years. And then by the fourth year, the actual asparagus stalks are thick enough, about the thickness of a pencil to grater, for harvesting. Yeah, we harvested some this year, um, but they weren't very good. Uh, my, my understanding of they are a little, a little uh, fibrous. Mm. So uh, we're looking forward to a better crop next year. Anything you want to add to this? Uh, yeah, I want to tell everybody, uh, make sure you come out to our next open garden. I don't have the exact date, but it'll be in June. And it'll be on a Saturday, maybe. I don't a, know. It'll be on a Saturday. Okay, we, right. we have two Wednesday events, one in April and one in October. The rest are all on Saturdays. Um, just come on out and uh, talk gardening. We'll uh, answer your questions, and we'll uh, enjoy your stories of your own gardening endeavors. We love that. That's right. It's the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center in Fair Oaks Park. And the water-efficient landscape garden is open year-round, but the interior where you can see the vegetables, you can see the fruit trees, the composting, the vineyard, and all that, it's only open on special occasions, such as the monthly workshops and also Harvest Day, which is the first Saturday in August. Every year, Harvest Day, the biggest one-day gardening event in the region, so we hope to see everybody out here that loves gardening, and usually we do. Yeah, you're good. You ought to write a newspaper column or something. Thank you, Fred. <laughs> All right, that's Dan Vieira, Master Gardener. More of Get Growing on the way. You're listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. All right, a lot of garden events happening this week. Uh, let's enumerate and elucidate upon them. Uh, for instance, today it's the East Sacramento Garden Tour going on until 4 o'clock, the Sacramento Garden Tour now in its uh, 20th year, and it's a peek into the backyards in the fabulous 40s, including the famous Blue House, as made famous in the movie Lady Bird, which I see is on sale <laughs> in the marketplace for over $3 million. Oh, my heavens. <laughs> uh, tickets are available through uh, the website eastsacgardentour.com. And uh, tickets are $25, and it's a fundraiser for the David Lubin Elementary uh, School uh, Gardens and Educational Enrichment at that school. Also, as part of the East Sacramento Garden Tour, the Sacramento County Master Gardeners from 10 to 4 will have uh, 
informational booths and be answering your gardening questions at various locations at the gardens that they will visit, so you can uh, get some garden questions answered there. And they'll also be at the Florin Certified Farmer's Market this coming Thursday from 8 until noon to answer your garden questions there on Florin Road, 5901 Florin Road. Next Saturday up at Hodges Nursery up in Durham, the Hodges are having a fruit tree workshop including how to thin apple trees and bagging apples to control coddling moth damage. Katie Bishop will be demonstrating uh, all that apple tree stuff. Handouts will be available. That's free. Hodges Nursery is at 960, excuse me, 9681 Midway in Durham, just outside Chico. And that uh, class on how to learn to espalier your fruit trees, which is uh, scheduled for next Saturday, May 19th. I believe there is still a couple of open spaces for that, and you need to register by tomorrow, May 14th. The class takes place among the trees in the Outdoor Learning Center at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center from 8.30 to noon. And uh, for more information, you can visit the the UC Master Gardeners website. And if you just Google the phrase, uh, Sacramento County Master Gardeners, uh, learn to espalier your trees, you can get more information about that. The uh, Master Food Preservers up in Placerville in El Dorado County have a class on dehydrating and freezing. Well, you gotta, you grew it, now eat it. And to eat it, you have to preserve it. Dehydrating and freezing can help you accomplish that. This class will cover the basics of dehydration and freezing. It'll be 9 to noon at the Bethel Delfino Agricultural Building at 311 Fair Lane in Placerville next Saturday. Also next Saturday, a free backyard composting workshop put on by the Sacramento County Master Gardeners at the Robbie Waters Pocket Greenhaven Library at 7335 Gloria Drive in Sacramento. You'll find out all about turning yard waste into gardener's gold at that uh, free composting workshop, 11 a.m. to noon next Saturday. Also, the Master Gardeners will have uh, informational tables set up at various gardens on the Colonial Heights Garden Tour, which is next Saturday, May 19th, 11 to 3 p.m. And uh, you can get more information about that at, the uh, again, the Sacramento County Master Gardener website or the Sacramento County Master Gardener Facebook page. Uh, what else is happening uh, next Saturday? Well, there's going to be a lot of Master Gardeners in action. They have an informational table set up at the Walk on the Wild Side at Beach Lake Park in Freeport next Saturday from 10 until 4 o'clock. And they'll be answering your gardening questions there. And uh, what else is going on next weekend? We mentioned and we gave away tickets to the Gardens of the Hills Tour and Art Event and Fundraiser. It's uh, held next Saturday and Sunday in El Dorado County to benefit the Assistance League of Sierra Foothills. You'll tour beautiful gardens, sample local wines, flavorful olive oils, decadent chocolates, lots more going on at those various gardens in El Dorado Hills, Rescue and Shingle Springs, the Gardens of the Hills Tour and Art Event Fundraiser next Saturday and Sunday, Saturday 10 to 5, Sunday 11 to 4. More information is available at their website, assistanceleague.org slash Sierra Foothills, or uh, visit any number of places for tickets, such as uh, Green Acres Nursery in Folsom. They'll have tickets for it. And what else is going on uh, next Saturday? A cherry talk. How about that? At the Robert Cabral Ag Center at 2101 East Earhart Avenue in Stockton. Uh, cherries uh, will be uh, discussed and how to preserve them. And this is put on by the Master Food Preservers of the Northern San Joaquin Valley next Saturday, 10 to 2. It says, 
bring an apron, be ready for this hands-on class. Cherries are messy. $25 fee, but you're going to be taking home a couple of jars of uh, cherries preserved. All right, so there you go. A lot of events happening. And don't forget, if your group uh, has an event coming up you want to promote on this program, uh, send me an email to fred at farmerfred.com. Try to get it to me uh, at least two weeks in advance because I'm a very slow reader. All right, what else is going on? The KSDE Farm Hour is coming up in just a few minutes on this very radio station. And uh, it's uh, interesting water talk going on, like who's going to pay for the repairs at Orville Dam spillways? One California legislator was told that it won't be the federal government because they say, you guys didn't maintain it, so you broke it, you fix it. Hmm. Uh, The Santa Clara Valley Water District finally took a vote on financing the Delta Tunnels project. Uh, They reversed themselves, and they decided that they are going to contribute hundreds of millions of dollars to that project. We have that story in the upcoming KSTE Farm Hour. And also, a story about atmospheric rivers and how they may become more common in our wintertime. Atmospheric rivers, of course, are deluges. Lots of rain falls very quickly. Now, we don't know how much rain we will get on a year-to-year basis, but climatologists have figured out that when it does fall, it's going to fall a lot at once, much like we saw this past February and March. And they think uh, there is research going on that a lot of this atmospheric river water can be used to replenish the groundwater. So it's all about using atmospheric river water for replenishing groundwater banks. So that's very interesting. So we'll have that uh, on the KSDE Farm Hour. Also, crop reports, too. And we have stories about soil. So a lot happening there, noon to 1 o'clock on this very radio station. Hope you can uh, tune in for that. If you miss it, not a problem. It's available as a podcast at KSTE.com, the iHeartRadio app, iTunes, and your favorite third-party podcast aggregator. As is this very show, Get Growing on KSTE, available at the iHeartRadio app or uh, iTunes or your Android podcast provider. And uh, what else? Oh, the KFBK Garden Show is available the same way. So we're we're a podcast. We just do a broadcast because we like talking out loud on Sundays. But uh, come on by and uh, join us anytime. I'll be back again next Sunday. Another thrill-packed episode of Get Growing from 10 a.m. to noon. Thanks for listening. I appreciate your support all these, let me figure this out here, 26 years. Yeah, more than 26 years now. Wouldn't be possible without your support. Thank you so much. Thanks, Terry. Running the board. Have a great weekend, folks, and happy Mother's Day.